<laughs> You're not sure is that the person who was there, like sitting around drinking before the show started? Because you're performing in a bar in a basement. Uh, is that someone's friend? Because you just joined this group, you don't know who these other people are. I need an so. occupation. I need an occupation uh, that that's like not not a usual occupation. Yeah. Uh, s- sir, you you at the bar? Y- yes, you. There's th- no. Oh, oh, you're gonna just keep drinking. Oh, uh, okay. Well, um, uh, uh, I mean, the people that work here are here. <laughs> Which is always gonna, true. Uh, 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 miss, can you look up from your phone uh, by chance? Uh, we just need an occupant. No. Oh. Oh. Okay. She's uh, turning her back while staying on her phone. Welcome uh, to Wednesday night in the No Presidium Discord. You are part of the Review Crew show now. Uh, <laughs> that was the warm up. I'm just jumping us right in. <laughs> Our only friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for being here. Oh, there they go. All right. Well, okay. Uh, joining us, uh, I, of course, am Noah Nelson, uh, host of the, the main podcast, also occasionally host of this podcast. Uh, joining us uh, tonight, uh, some of the usual returning crew. Uh, we have uh, we have the arts editor for No Persinium. Hi, that's me, Laura Hess. We have the Chicago curator for No Persinium. Hi there, this is Patrick McLean. And we have the executive editor of No Persinium. Hello, this is Catherine Yu. And each week we get together in the Discord and we talk about stuff that folks have seen. Uh, we hopefully figure out by the end of this what is probably going to be the pick of the week. And then the pick of the week materializes on the main podcast. And we do it this way because uh, we've decided that this is our lives or something. Um, this week... Uh, I don't have a piece, so I'm going to play the role of interrogator of everybody and ask questions. And we're going to start with Laura, who caught, uh, yet again, caught an art exhibition here in the Southland. Yeah, so I'm both really excited to talk about this. And also, as I mentioned in the rundown this week, I'm sort of reticent to talk about this because I do think that for anyone that's potentially going to experience this, why don't you just pause now, come back, bookmark the the review crew, come back to it after you see the exhibition. Or oh, fast wait forward. a second, wait a second. Everyone else, everyone else can like they get show notes. They, they're told when when it, they'll skip ahead to so the they next can person. Fast don't, yeah, they can fast forward past you. Don't make them wait on everybody else. <laughs> Yeah. Talk about jettisoning everyone else's segment, Laura. Jeez. What Stop what you doing. Last if you're going to do that. Down. Yeah. Mea do culpa, mea else. culpa. Just fast get forward a, through me. Yeah. Get on a train. Get in a car. Get 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 to this thing first. Don't do anything else with your life. Then come back. Right. Right. Yeah. That's exactly how it should work. All right. Okay. So we'll we'll sort of reset here. So I'm gonna. I'll I'll fill you in and then people can decide if they want to fast forward through me. So this exhibition is called Divine Immersion, the Experiential Art of Nick Dong. And it's at the USC Pacific Asia Museum in Pasadena. And Nick Dong is an Oakland-based Taiwanese-American artist. And the exhibition is a series of rooms and sculptures that integrate uh, scientific and handcrafted components supernatural movements, light, sound, and interactive strategies. And so to be more specific, the sculptures include motorized components and their sequences that affect how the sculptures or rooms or spaces are activated. And 
really beautiful light and sound design also play a starring role. And I, I wanted to highlight this for a couple of reasons. So I mentioned an artwork recently when I was discussing the LA Art Show, and it's called Last Light by an artist named Carmen Argote. And it's a meditative piece that consists of video and voiceover. And I cited it because it's a really wonderful, gentle catharsis. And I talked about how we've been unable to fully grieve or process the past 18 months because we're still in a state of chaos and fear and heartbreak. And this is one of the key reasons why Nick Dong's exhibition is so deeply resonant. As the museum explains, Dong is extending an invitation to visitors to bring all of their chaos to this exhibition. So the artwork meets you where you're at, wherever that may be exactly. And this is another experience that truly feels like a co-creation while also being deeply restorative and incredibly joyful. So I'm not sure how much I should get into the specifics of the rooms and the sculptures. So I wonder if I should just pause there. Well, like, give us give us a little bit of texture here, right? Like, obviously, there's more than one sculpture. So... Right. It wouldn't, so, be, it wouldn't ruin everything by telling it, giving us a little something. Yeah. So there's four main rooms. And the first room that you go into, it has what just seems like um, sort of household furnishings. Uh, there's, a, there's a clock, there's a table, there's a chair. And these seem fairly innocuous. They seem like kind of just, um, you know, slightly vintage furniture pieces. But he has integrated moving sculptures with these furniture items in, again, really startling, very delightful, and very mysterious ways. And from there you go into, uh, there's another room called, it's it's actually uh, fans of Yayoi Kusama will be thrilled by this. Um, there is a mirrored space and it's called heaven. And I don't really want to say too much else about that. Um, there's also a space that has um, singing bowls. And there's, again, there's all these motorized aspects to how the, uh, the sculptures are activated. And then there's a final room that also has a sculpture and light and sound design. And so you, you move through these different spaces and they really build on each other. And there are things, my understanding is that there are some pretty complex sequences that are happening behind the scenes that you, you cannot see and how these things are activated and how they interact with the viewer. And one of the, one of the things that I should cite about Dong's work is that his whole philosophy and perspective and, and drive behind his work is that his work is incomplete without the viewer. So again, it's a real act of co-creation. You have to be there to activate the artwork and you can feel that. And I think that's mm. such an essential part of this artwork and why it's so impactful. Okay. I think that's, that's a, that's, that's enough to capture it, right? Okay. Like that, that little bit right there, you know, that you can feel that you're necessary to mm -hmm. it, right? Like yep. this is often, this is often like the genesequa that we're all chasing um, on that note, you know, a few weeks ago, I kind of threw out a question that we would maybe revisit at some point, which was, you know, 
what is it that you, Laura, are chasing when you go to all these art pieces? Because I think like, you know, for some immersive folks, it's a lot about the story. For some, it's about the feeling of being in a place that they've always dreamed of or that they never imagined. Like, you know, for, for some, it's about connecting with other people through like a fictive medium. And yet the, the installation art side of things is, can have those aspects, but it's also a little different. So let's come back to that question. What are you chasing when you're, when you're out there doing this art stuff for us? And I think this is a great question. I've certainly thought about it a lot since you asked it. And I, I think it's such a difficult question to answer, to put into words, because what I'm chasing and what I certainly found in this exhibition, it does feel indescribable. I think if I have to distill it down, I'm chasing wonder. I'm chasing a real suspension. We've talked a lot throughout these different formats, different productions, we talk a lot about the suspension of disbelief. What I actually mean in this moment is genuine suspension. Like I am preserved in a moment in time. Everything else is shut out. And in a way, like you just said, I'm also chasing that sensation of feeling like I matter. And not necessarily even that I matter for the, for the world or for a particular artwork or for other people, but feeling like it mattered for me to have experienced what someone else created. There is a real sense of joy in having the opportunity to experience creativity like this. You say things like, you know, worlds or, or things that we haven't even imagined. And I think that is a huge part of it. There are things that other people conceive of, and I, I don't even have the slightest inkling of that in my own mind. I can't pull that up. But when I experience it in person, it's one of those moments where you, you just sort of know, oh, this is something that I didn't even know I needed. This is something I didn't even know I wanted. This is something that feels like utter magic. And I mean that in, in the truest sense. It feels like utter magic that could never have been created by anyone else. And that's, I'm always looking for that. Yeah, I think, I think it's something that probably binds us all to a degree, right? That chasing wonder. You know, I, I, I had the privilege of like going on set today for one of the upcoming experiences here in LA for the haunt season. And, and I won't say which one um, it'll, it'll be in one of the episodes of, of the show coming up. And I've, I've been in the space they've been in before, like where they're going. I've been in that space. People, people can put some people will be able to piece together what I'm talking about. And I was so, it, it was lights on. There was junk everywhere because they're loading in a show in the middle of set decking, uh, decorating the set. But I walked into the space and I was like, holy God, they've totally transformed this. Like I've, I've been in this space many times in multiple configurations and I was just agog at what they had managed to do. Mm -hmm. And, and that kind of 
it's this it's this dichotomy. You're both totally there and kind of outside yourself all at the same time. Right. Yeah. And that kind of duality, there is something particularly delicious about that. And you feel utterly present and you feel like, again, you are taking everything in, but in a way you're sort of pushing it all out. And that sort of virtuous cycle, again, it's really, really hard to come by. So when you experience it, it does. It just it just feels like utter magic. And you you get this with divine immersion. Oh, I mean, <laughs> yes, yes, a thousand times over. All right. And well. before we before we segue, <laughs> I do want to just spotlight really quickly that the museum has done a fantastic job with accompanying programming for this exhibition, which has a great focus on accessibility. So later this month, they have this, um, I believe it's a one hour online interactive experience for people with disabilities who are unable to attend the exhibition in person. Mm -hmm. And then next month, there's a creative writing workshop, which is open to everyone, including deaf and blind participants. And so that's a, a guided, journaling exercise in response to meditative video clips and music from the exhibition. So I think that USC uh, Pacific Asia Museum is doing a wonderful job focusing on inclusion and accessibility. And I just want to give them a shout out for that. All right. It's, uh, I think, I think more and more folks, uh, taking advantage of what we've learned over the course of pandemic to create exactly. accessibility points is definitely a way moving forward. Um, I think it also starts to address some of the issues, you know, particularly with, with folks who are working in like older buildings. I mean, so many, so many folks in the immersive theater community in particular find themselves working in like pre ADA buildings because that's what they can afford to use or that's what they're dealt and and having some digital access for folks is probably um, uh, one step towards leavening things. Uh, there's a there's a good conversation about that uh, that uh, Ali Murata led in one of the podcast episodes not too yep. long ago. Yep, so exactly. Let's check that out. Let us head over to Chicago, Patrick. Uh, what's uh, what's been on your plate uh, this week? Uh, this week, I've kind of continued. Uh, continued my foray into just uh, exploring some of the Oculus Quest offerings. Um, uh, right now, just with the, the state of the world as is, we don't need to get into that. Everyone's highly aware of it. Uh, it's an opportunity for me to still kind of engage in more some more immersive-based experiences, events. And I recently finished playing this very interesting game. Uh, that has uses great use of VR. It is called Trover Saves the Universe. Uh, some folks out there might be aware of this game because this is from the creators of Rick and Morty. And really, if you've always wanted to be in an episode of Rick and Morty, uh, this is the game you've been waiting for all of your life since what that show came out, like 2013 or something. Um, yeah, and for Gen Zers, that's as long as they've been alive. So. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. don't know anything yeah. else. No. Um, so the premise of this game is that you are 
a chair orphean and i mean uh, like like morpheus or things like that not an orphean a chair orphean and your culture sits in your lazy boy and uses like a controller to do everything turn on the tv uh open doors things like that and conveniently uh your two dogs that you love more than life itself are kidnapped by this monster madman who is out to reshape the universe to his liking and needs your two dogs to do it which he then puts in his uh empty eye sockets and because they're your dogs the universe blames you for everything that is going wrong until trover shows up who is this um another alien species that uh, gives you the ability to control him to move around and fight bad guys, hit him with sticks, jump over things and stuff like that. As you engage with a ever expanding universe of (laughs) gross uh, off kilter, off color characters who are just, saying things because they can talk and there's no way to stop them and it's an episode of rick and morty where it it, the game is amusing in the sense that in the comedy stylings that as long as you keep talking and just keep going eventually you must say something funny that the audience will engage with uh and you play around and (laughs) you move around and it's just this goofy bizarre little video game Okay, so goofy, bizarre little video game. So this is this is kind of one of the questions, particularly in VR right now. First off, could this have been done and and not have been in VR? Could this have worked as a non VR yes. game? Yeah, like because in many ways, all you're doing is it, it, Trover is Mario. You make mm. him run over here. You hit a button to make him jump. He had another button to him to use his like laser sword stick that comes out of his hands to beat someone. And you trot along until the boss fight or the next objective and you keep going. And maybe you earn some power ups along the way. Does it being in VR add anything particularly? Does it, does it being in VR change the game? It, it, does a little i would say it does a, and this is a, the interesting fine line of it all is that because the conceit is your character the the character you're giving agency to the story is sitting in a chair and moving around and using a remote controller like you the vr player is sitting in a chair wherever they are using the two oculus controllers to do everything so rather than other games where it's like pretend the controllers are your hands or imagine if they're claws that can snap or something they have very much leaned into the aspect of going oh we know you're just at home sitting around with a controller doing whatever you want moving around virtual environments and furthermore to that said you don't even necessarily even have to like look around. You can flick one of the joysticks to rotate your character in the game to look around and see it. So in that sense, while it is a bunch of really cool, beautifully rendered uh, 3D worlds that require you to look around, you don't actually have to 
physically engage. And I, I, I don't know if that's like a part of the commentary of the game too, because there is a ton of fourth wall breaking in this game. Like constantly Trover's like, oh man, you're like really good at like uh, puzzles. Like did your like parents like force those on you? And like, that means like you just became so good at them that they become a burden. And like, you just like, that's a thing that you do now. And you just see those puzzles and you see those solutions and you're like, oh my God, like I just have to solve this because my parents beat it into me. And it, it plays around with that too. And it definitely calls out like, this is just a video game. This is just a VR experience you're doing. It's just a kind of fascinating balance. And ultimately to your question, Noah, I mean, in that sense, I think it is a typical video game that is masquerading as a pretty interesting VR game. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like they, they try to go fairly, fairly meta like, I don't know, meta and VR, when something's as underdeveloped as the medium of virtual reality is, I, I kind of feel like meta is everyone's sophomore stab at content, and some people get it right. Like, yeah, I, I would say virtual, virtual. Virtual reality. Yeah. Yes. That was literally. Thank you. Thank you on behalf of Tender Claws, my employer, currently <laughs> yeah. for the next couple yeah. of days until my internship finishes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, <laughs> like, and that's an older game too. That's a that's several it, years old. It, and point. it was it was a it was a very early VR. I mean, I remember when I encountered it at VR VVR at VRLA. And someone said, oh, yeah, it's this game about this, that. I was like, oh, it's really meta. We're going to go meta. Like, it's like we just started doing this. But the writing's very clever. And the meta in that game is in the inversion. In that, yes, you're in VR and you're in VR. And then you've got to use VR in VR. And it just goes like all the way down. But also this whole idea that you, a human, are now going to serve these AIs. And that that Saturnalia effect kind of, I think it's doing something more than meta. Right. And, and, and I think what really works to that point is that at the end of uh, virtual, virtual reality, Oh, don't spoil it. I haven't gotten to the end. Oh, I haven't gotten to the end. I'll admit it. Noah, skip ahead three minutes. Yeah, no, I can't do that. <laughs> but, but I would just say at the end of that game, that leaves you a lot of questions on the nature of reality where ultimately Trover saves the universe is just like, I, there's very meta commentary, but I'm not lost in it. I'm not mm. thinking about it. It's mm -hmm. not affecting It doesn't the way. spark additional inquiry. Exactly. Well put. Yes. Yeah. You want you, sort of like you watched a performance, not so much that you participated in one. Yes. That said, though, I will give them credit is that there are some very big binary choices where it's like, do this thing for that person or do this thing for this other person. And that has some slight ramifications. So there is a sense of action and uh, ownership that, you know, is a little more bigger than kind of classic, you know, like Mario, you just go in the straight line, you do it. There is some impact you do have in the narrative and the story to a larger degree. But of course, you're still on rails. It's, right. you know, how you get there is at, you, at your pleasure.
sounds 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 like when I, I I've always been curious about it, but um uh now now I feel like I know enough and like I I budget my VR time in in very specific ways. Um, yeah, like I would say, got it. Glad I tried it. Uh, uh, it was definitely worth it. Would I recommend it to anyone? Uh, unless you, unless no, you really love Rick and Morty. I don't know if you're a big fan uh, and you're sitting down watching that every day it comes out. But uh, if that's not doing it for you, then I would say, yeah, maybe I'll, eventually I'll binge, someday. I'll, I'll binge half a season once in a while when I'm in a mood, you know, yeah. like, like it's, there, there's times when I really want a little Rick and Morty, but it's not, it's not a day it drops scenario for me. Right. All right. So two of three, Catherine, uh, she of, of, uh, still tender claws employment for a few more days. Uh, (laughs) what have have you, uh, what have you definitely not snuck out on company time to do? Stop. (laughs) Oh my God. Don't tell Sam and Danny. They're pretty flexible anyway. Um, So what I'm bringing today is a really charming mobile app that contains eight sound walks. It's literally just called The Walks. Uh, It's free to download and it's five euros to get the content. And it has eight separate sound walks and they're available in a couple different languages, including French, German, and English. And they're like site specific to an extent. So they will often say, uh, this one is intended for a supermarket and this other one is intended for a cemetery and this other one is intended to be started at your front door or a roundabout or even just somewhere on the sidewalk or uh, a crosswalk, an intersection or a roundabout. So I really enjoyed how flexible they were in terms of thinking of the different types of buildings or landmarks that might be nearby someone. And a lot of it is about the joy of walking, the rhythm of being somewhere. Um, I did them in downtown LA. And of course, while it's very hot during the middle of the day here, it is nice to get out and feel like you are part of an environment. Uh, They do a lot of great binaural sound tricks. So you will hear footsteps passing by. And of course, like you know, it's it's one of those mind tricks. You're like, wait, is there someone? Is there someone actually behind me? Is there actually an airplane above me, or no? And I I live under a flight path, and so I was constantly trying to figure out if what I was hearing was just inside the sound walk or in my actual, you know, um, my life, uh, you know, here in LA. And the narrators all change. Um, one of them is very beautiful, kind of meditation on the secret movements that you can make in a supermarket. And it was uh, told by a choreographer and it's actually a dance for two. So it's meant for two people who've both downloaded the app who hit play at the same time. You each get a different track and throughout this piece, you know, he's, he's actually asking you questions and the way that you respond to something that he's asking is you might lift one of your arms or you might turn around and, it's one of these, like, I'm secretly dancing in public. I'm secretly doing this ritual kind of things. Mm. Uh, another one, there was a psychologist who talked about how she takes all her clients on walks and learns about their approach to the world, maybe what they're afraid of, what they're not afraid of, if they feel like they're in a hurry all the time, if they're maybe observing the world around them or not. 
and there was another person who was kind of in dialogue with the psychologist and he was a strollologist. So the science of walking. So why do we walk? How do we walk? What do we feel when we walk? How does this connect us to our surroundings? Uh, one of them was more of a dream, dreamlike meditation uh, told by a small child who was posing all of these very open-ended questions like, remember the first time that you got to walk alone? Remember the last time you went somewhere and you didn't know where you were going? And then there would be sometimes instructions around, uh, take a picture of the crosswalk or the roundabout or the front of the closed theater. And you could say, yes, I want to take a picture using my smartphone because this is all on this app. And at the end, you actually got to see everyone else's like crosswalks and stuff like that. So there's this beautiful gallery of user-generated content. A lot of the people who had participated were in Germany because it's a German company. So just being able to see what their street signs look like and where they happen to be. And maybe there's like an accidental selfie or they've caught some bystanders or it's just a picture of the sky above where they happen to be at that given time with a timestamp. There's no identifying information. So really you just have the date, time, and location that they took this picture, knowing that this specific picture was taken by someone who did the exact same sound walk that you did. So I thought there are a lot of really lovely touches in here around community building, getting people outside, and then asking you to do things that maybe you would not have ordinarily done. So there's, I always wonder this about when someone pitches a pod play or they say like, Hey, we've made a, we've made a thing. We made a pod play. And I think we've all, all, I think all of us at this point have done various pod plays. And there's always this like balance between something that could just be, you know, a radio play, sort of like a radio play by way of serial, maybe um, something that is literally just a set of instructions, like a bunch of injunctions, like do this, now do that, now do this, now do that. And other things that are just, you know, dark field radio, like where it's really okay, it's it's an audio play, but it is it is around you and it's really going for like the 360, um, 360 audio. Where on the spectrum is this? And what for you kind of makes pod plays as a format click? Yeah, so I think it's somewhere in between the two latter categories where there is some amount of agency or instruction. A part of it does feel like it might be more guided meditation, but part of it is also asking you like, look around and go down a street that you've never been down before. Uh, take a, a turn that you, you know, that leads you somewhere that you've never been before. Um, one of the ones I really enjoyed was about standing in front of a closed theater. And then at some point they had you envision your kind of secret twin, your agent is what they call you and envision your ghost, your doppelganger going inside this closed theater and trying to reimagine like the lobby and the stairs and the seats. And then they added these sound effects where I heard someone unlocking a door and I just kind of jumped and I was like, wait, 
oh yeah, it's me. Like I'm the one who's going inside the closed theater and trying to envision, say, someone on stage and what taking all these actions would be like. But they had blended in all those effects so seamlessly that it actually took me by surprise how effective that was as a set of instructions. I'm so glad that you just said that because I was going to ask, having done some of these sound walks that are site specific to, I would say, you know, varying success. I was interested to know how this was site specific, but in such a generalized way. And that makes so much more sense of how you could incorporate these more universal landmarks or aspects of a city, but then also have it feel very real, very immediate for whatever space you're in. That sounds incredibly effective. Yeah, and it was five euros. And <laughs> literally anyone in the world can download this app. Uh, it's available on iOS and Android. And it just seems really interesting to the fact that you could have this in your pocket. And if you did it at the cemetery by your house, you would have a similar enough experience to someone who did it you know, at a cemetery by their house uh, somewhere in Germany and feel somewhat connected, but it would still be personal to you. So uh, this company has also done something called Remote X. So they've done like a remote Denver, remote LA. And I think they've been playing in this audio walk, sound walk arena for a while. So it was just really refreshing to, uh, to find something that was so accessible to so many people. And, and Catherine, really quick, is another kind of even more practical question. Since there are so many different sound walks you can go on, there uh, is there a timer like you know, like like dark uh, dark field radio? Do you get like a twenty minute break or something to get to the next place, or can you go through all of these at your leisure over hours, days, weeks? Oh yeah, it's entirely self directed. And one thing I really appreciated was it would say. This sound walk requires a piece of paper and a pencil, and this will take you 30 minutes. Most of them were around the 20, 25, 30 minute range. So it wasn't like you were going to, you know, go off, uh, you know, wandering around the city for an entire hour. So they were able to manage a lot of those expectations in terms of how much time this was going to take out of your day, which is another thing that's really nice. You're you're thinking about the user experience. You're thinking about managing expectations. You're making sure that people who maybe aren't used to walking aren't going out walking for two hours. Yeah, I think there's there's some folks who have sort of fumbled the ball a little bit uh, on the on the the durational aspect of these of late and. There can be a lot of moving parts to this work uh, on the audio side, but I mean, just at the end of the day, like someone's got to go and like do the walking and do the listening and be in the spaces. And I think there's also been a bit of everyone trying to like provide so much because people are maybe a little bit starved for things that aren't just like watching television and movies on on a television screen, but a little can go a long way. Like you give someone a good 20 minute experience they they will want more. They might just not want more immediately <laughs> afterwards. Right. And a couple of them have breaks. So they will say, find somewhere to rest. And then we're going to keep going along with this 
story or meditation or what, you know, uh, the narrator will keep going down some line of thinking and you'll get a short break and they'll be like, okay, let's start walking again. I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you for thinking about like, I might be tired by now. And that communal aspect, it sounds like it was so well utilized. I know with Candlehouse Collective, both for each and every, and then their recent show, Leo Season, having those those photographs to be able to see other people around the world, wherever they might have been, there's a, again, that's a very special quality and a, and a special delivery in terms of that communal aspect and feeling connected to other people in a like low key interactive way. I think that's something that we all need to be reminded of and, and, and yet it doesn't require a lot of the participant. For sure. And if you don't want to take a picture for whatever reason, you just say skip. Like they, oh. they don't judge you for skipping that part. Right. Okay. That's awesome. That's great. All right. Well, we only have three contenders this week, uh, but I think we've got a good behind the scenes talk to have. So can I just check through? Anthony is our one live listener. So unfortunately, Anthony, you know what? Uh, we'll, uh, we'll stop recording, but we'll uh, give everyone a little preview. And by everyone, a little preview, meaning Anthony will get to listen in on, uh, on the, <laughs> on the debate uh, um, elsewhere. So, uh, until next time, uh, for the review crew, uh, this is which this week are Patrick and Laura and Catherine. Uh, this is Noah Nelson, and uh, we will see you again in a week's time. <laughs>